Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. That's the extent of my sound and video engineering knowledge, Gus. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, Gus, do you, know, do, do you know what an idiom is? No, I don't. Okay, so it's like... Um, uh, what what's the, what have we been using lately, Hass? The it's a silly saying that people say, like you know, beating around the bush or or something that, that doesn't make um, any sense, but us Aussies tend well, to use a fair bit. Something I just said to you guys before we started recording, I can talk to the cows come home. Like when did the yeah. cows come home? Like is there a is there a time that the cows go, Yep, yeah, that's that's I would need him to stop talking, so I'm gonna go home now. Like yeah, so I do know what you mean. You said that way with an example, yeah. And it's funny because what we do with the idiom normally on each show is we try and work out the first person that said it and in what context they were saying it. Okay. I can think of a farmer um, who goes out in the field all day because he can't be rather talking inside the house, so he just talks to the cows and the cows eventually at some stage go, right, well, I know you'll stop talking if we go home to milk or something. So maybe <laughs> something like that. Perfect. Without giving it too much thought. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. I love it. I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking in between the First and the Second World War type thing, that discussion was happening. And it happened probably on the Yorkshire Dales. Um, some pommy bloke who's yeah, mis- mis- some miserable farmer from pommy land and his missus, probably thinking his missus was miserable, but she couldn't believe how happy she was when he wasn't in the house and he was out with the cows. That's... One of those perfect relationships where they don't see each other very much, but they end up being married for 60 years. You know what I mean? That, that's how I'm picturing it. You got it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, that was probably the best one we've had yet, Gus. That was fantastic. I'm happy to, I'm happy to help. What was your thought on the Yorkshire Dales, Nick? Well, my, my grandmother was from Sheffield and I ended up living about five years with my English wife and young family in Lincolnshire, which is sort of, not too far from Sheffield. And I was sort of given the, the Midlands and the North of England and Scotland to look after as my area. Huge, like not big geographically, but just to get to those areas with motorways and stuff. So I spent a lot of time in the North of England and I fell in love with those people because they've just, they see the fun side of life. Um, some of them don't have a lot, but they've got their football team. They've got their family. They've got their belief. And that is enough. And I felt the same thing when I went to India as well. A lot of people without a lot, just loving the fact that they always felt very secure and happy and knowing that there was other people in worse spots and they appreciated what they had. And uh, I always said I was going to take my kids to India one day to really, truly appreciate what they had. And I think you get them at the right age, they can be taught a really good lesson um, that you know we're a little bit... Our lives are ridiculous. Of course, just... Greatness is, I think, is probably an underused thing everywhere on the planet at the moment. Beautiful, beautiful. So, Gus, for some reason, Nick, I can't hear your audio at the minute, but as long as Gus can hear it, we're all fine. <laughs> we'll work I, it out. I can hear it. I thought, I thought what, what, why is Ryan being so rude and just talking over Nick all the time? <laughs> I, I do tend to do that anyway. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I can't hear what you're saying, Dick. But anyway, Gus, I'm going to introduce <laughs> you, all right? So we're going to get this thing underway. So we're here to talk about uh, Gotcha for Life, um, a company that you run uh, raising awareness around mental health. And now I did first come across you. I remember, shit, it must have been 10 to 15 years ago. You were doing the Aussie Goes Barmy, uh, Aussie Goes Bolly, all those kind of shows. And I remember it did strike me then about you were a man that wore your heart on your sleeve and seemed to really care about people's stories like where they've been from their journey and where they came from and then uh, a couple of years ago I did come across the TV series Man Up that you did uh, with the ABC I believe yeah and um, right, yeah. I, I, and I thought it was uh, absolutely fantastic. I mean, me and Nick both being in this industry, we see a lot of different people trying to do different things, and you know we can be a bit uh, critical of where it comes from. But I thought you did that series absolutely brilliantly, and um, and it sounds like Gotcha for Life came off the back of that series. So I, I want you to uh, let us let, let the listeners know first off what led you to making this series man up. Like what what happened in your life? Yeah, well, thank you, Ryan. And you're absolutely right. It certainly did come off the back of Man Up. But for, for me, initially, I'd lost a friend of mine who I just loved. He was like a father figure to me. His name was Angus as well. And everyone calls me Gus, but I'm an Angus as well. So when we were growing up, he married my cousin. So he was like Big Ang and I was Little Ang. So we had that sort of link, if you like. And then he was the guy that I just wanted to be. You know, in year 10, when I had to do work experience, I went and worked at his school at the time. He was a PE teacher and he was just strong and athletic and good looking. And he had all the answers and he was married to my cousin who I adored. And, and then they started having kids and I don't know, he just seemed to me to have the whole package. And then he left that industry and started working and selling at Toshiba. And I then eventually ended up at Toshiba with, with him and, he was the guy that I could go to to ask about relationships, about business, about a whole lot of things. He was a real father figure. And when I found out one day that he was dead, I literally collapsed and dropped the phone. Um, and then I found out later that he'd actually taken his own life. And that's when I got really angry. And I went, no way. I went to the police. I said, I want an investigation. Blokes like Angus don't take their own life. He had all the answers. He was brilliant. He was this and that. And that's when the police sat me down and explained to me that, you know, suicide, unfortunately, in Australia is huge. Numbers are amazingly large and I'd had no idea, of course. So that got me thinking and then, but I never actually uh, spoke about it, never communicated it until I started talking on, I did a breakfast show on Triple M for about 10 years and I started, I brought it up one day around the anniversary and a lady who was listening at the time was thinking of doing a program around suicide and masculinity and challenging masculinity in this country so she heard it and she and I chatted and it was a job for me really to be a host of a tv show but we did 55 days filming we ran out of money after 40 and everyone on the crew just said bugger it I don't care I just love it I'm going to do wow. it going to finish this off and it's amazing and we're going to make something truly truly magnificent and uh I was so pleased with that because that's how I felt as well. And the show's now been seen over 75 million times around the wow. world. We gave it away to the world. We just said, you can have it and please just play it and play it over and over again. Because the problems we have here are the same problems they have around the world, especially in America and the UK. So that gave me a platform, you know, to then talk on the radio about it more. And then when I left Brecky Radio, I've gone full-time into Gotcha, but it's been running now 
about four years and we've given away just over $5 million to program partners that have shown initiative to work in this space, who we believe need some sort of help, whether it's financial, marketing, um, consultancy, whatever, just my network of friends and people that want to help. We just help people that work in that area. And uh, I want to change the wording, guys, from mental health to mental fitness, because I believe mental fitness is just like physical fitness. On a sliding scale, we can always improve. We can always be working on stuff, finding new exercises, new gyms, new ways of getting better. And it just takes away that negativity of mental health because as soon as you hear mental health, you guys would have heard it yourself with your experience. It just puts you down the bottom of the barrel. You need to explain yourself. It's awkward. But you just say, if you walked into a room and said, oh, I'm so unfit at the moment, I really need to lose some, some, uh, some COVID kilos, blah, blah, blah. Everyone just goes, oh, yeah, mate. I know what you mean. Have you joined a gym? I've got a really good personal trainer. Why don't you start eating this? Oh, I get this food delivered. It's just a positive conversation. So why can't we have the same positive conversation around mental fitness? So that's what we're trying to do. And we're supporting anyone out there doing exactly the same stuff. And, you know, one suicide is too many. We're losing eight plus a day now in Australia. COVID, I'm sure, is going to give us higher numbers. Way higher. Um, so one suicide is too many. So we've put the line in the sand. And we've said zero suicides, that's it. Who wants to be that person that walks up the garden path, knocks on the door and tells someone their loved one's taken their own life? I don't want to be that person. So if that one's too many, then it's too many. So zero suicides and let's all work together to get there. And, uh, you know, Ryan and Nick, I appreciate the time to on your podcast to talk about it because, uh, you know, if it just gets one person listening here that might change their tune, then, you know, we've, we've done something good. I couldn't agree with you more, Nick. And, you know, and I'm sick of awareness, to be honest with you. We're all aware of it. We all know there's a drama, we, right? So action. Let's get some effing action involved here. And that's the absolute key. So for me, it's programs into sports clubs. It's coordinating together really good people doing great work and all doing it together in one fell swoop around action and normalising the stuff that most people worry alone about. Like one of the big things I'm going to put on the back of my back of these new caps that I'm wearing today is don't worry alone. If you're not worrying alone, then you're telling at least someone, then you're more likely to be able to get through this stuff. So I'm all about action now and having making sure that we've got programs that are out there in the community, whether we had to pivot and put them online or whether we can go out to certain parts of New South Wales still and actually eyeball people and have those discussions. Um, if you don't know, we've got a massive mental fitness program uh, problem in this country, then you've been living under a rock. So end of story, line in the sand, get some action down because we all know there's a problem. And what are some of these programs that you've been running, Gus? Sorry to cut you off, Nick. I still can't hear a word you're saying, but your body language is fantastic. You guys fantastic. are doing well. Yeah, we've, 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 yeah. We've, done, we've done this enough times. We kind of understand. We speak the same language anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, what are some of these programs that you're funding at the minute? Yeah, so there's a couple of big ones. On the Man Up program, you remember a bloke called Tom Harkin who went into my son's school. And he's got a program called Tomorrow Man, which is basically, mm. you know, breaking down the stereotype and saying, well, we're still living to a set of man rules that were set so many years ago. Why don't we do something a bit different? Um, and now he's got Tomorrow Woman as well. So Tomorrow Man and Tomorrow Woman are probably 75% of what we are funding. And then there's a whole lot of other really great programs as well, like Accidental Counselor and Mental Health First Aid, where I think all leaders in certain areas should have all those programs. So we've got people on the ground in companies 
in sporting clubs, wherever you might want to be, that have some knowledge to be able to get through this stuff. So we need to do it just like normal first, physical first aid. We need to do the same thing with mental. So I really want to get a thousand Tom Harkins out there. That was my promise to myself when I first met him at my son's school. And um, so far I've got 13. So it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of going through a lot of people because kids in particular are great at just sifting through someone who is just reading a script or is doing it for a job. As you guys would know, you've got to live this. You've got to wake up every morning wanting to make a difference. You want to literally hurt every time you hear a stat that knocks you for six. We've got, we're real emotional beings. And when you're working like that, you need to have some time off as well because you're feeling absolutely everything. So there's a real balance of trying to get the right type of person, but also enough resilience to be able to do the job. Because when you're out there in front of a bunch of school kids and you're hearing the stuff back, it really, really, really is emotional. So I'm working very hard with as many, I spoke before you guys with a, with a big multi-corporate and I'm shouting and screaming going, time to put your money where your mouth is. You keep talking about awareness. Let's get some programs, you know, and I'm just like four gallons of water every day because I don't stop talking and I won't stop talking. I said, oh, I'm going to knock down your door until you let me in. And I'm like, I'm just going to be the biggest pest you've ever come across because this problem's going to get worse once the government turn the tap off. You know, there's no doubt about that. At the moment, the government is doing all it can, but they're going to have to turn the tap off at some stage. And, that, and people are on such the edge. We need to build this emotional muscle to go with this um, emotional uh, fitness and mental fitness now. And we need to continue doing it for the next wherever for the rest of time because with this problem is not going away unless we attack it with education and action, which is exactly what you were talking about, Nick. Mm. Yeah, and I think if we keep pumping the stats at people and trying to drive people through fear and fear mongering, it's just going to have an adverse effect. So for me, it's working on a more compassionate level and working with them and, and shifting them. And you know, I don't want to, I want to stop trying to break the stigma and I just want to change the narrative, help people to reframe. You know, when I do a presentation, there'll be a hundred guys in the room and I'll say who here has mental health and two or three of them will put their hand up. And when I ask why did you put your hand up, they'll say, oh, because I've got depression or anxiety or I've tried suicide or something. So, so many people mistakenly get this, they, they picture mental health as mental illness or mental health issues, and they don't understand that joy and peace and equanimity and happiness is mental health as well. So, yeah. and, and Hass and I talk about it all the time, about I get my clients to do these mental repetitions, these mental reps or a bicep curl for the brain and it's pulling yourself out of destructive thinking and into constructive thinking. But if people don't even know that those things exist, how the fuck are they supposed to look after their mental health and well-being? They're in no capacity. And that's, for me, the biggest issue is people don't know that they have mental health and they don't know what they need to do to get it in shape and they don't know what they need to do to keep it in shape. So, you know, um. I've been doing this for 13 years now after pulling myself out of the gutter. And um, the biggest thing I come across is, you know, blokes, especially tradies that can't afford to come and do programs like mine because they're not working, but then that just creates, you know, more issues and compounds and compounds. So it's great that there's blokes like you out there, Gus, that are, you know, trying to, 
funds and and assist these people to get into and, and not yeah, and I'm, not just that so i can hear you again now nick it's fantastic um, yeah. <laughs> um who's your mate behind you there nick who's that that's uh, so uh, a so, mutual friend this is Shane. So Shane's just uh, come on board and he's helping us out. He's doing a bit of a traineeship with MindFit. He's also lived experience and uh, is, is sporting nice to the see mind. you, mate. He's wearing the MindFit hat, but he's also got his vulnerability, power and strength business. So he's trying to create a mental health directory So because people don't know that things like MindFit exist either. So Well, I can certainly help do that as well, Nick. And I'd also like to chat at some stage around because I, I, I always hate feeling that people can't afford to do things, you know, and I know that's a real, that's a reality, right? But I say no to, if, if someone needs the programs that we support, they get them, we'll worry about it later. That's yeah. the way I think the only way forward. So there's plenty of people that can afford to help. So we need to put some money in the coffers from them to say, right, we've got this virtual program that's brought to you by blah, blah, blah. And we're going to put 10 of those on and you can come on and link in and the company yeah. your own home for nothing. So we're, think, we're just about to start this virtual online meditation membership where for 15 bucks a week, people, I've got clients in America and England and all over Australia and everything. So we're just trying to create this little community where people want to really get their mental health in shape. Mm. Um, and so we're creating that online, but then it's going to be in person, obviously when COVID lifts. Yeah. Um, well, let's but, talk about that offline about, about making sure that if someone really needs whatever you're, trying to do and you believe that it's important then how somehow we can get it paid for so you don't say no to those people because yeah, um, that'd be great it's about people having key. a menu of options isn't it i mean right now up until this point there's sort of been this one or two avenues that people have been able to take but now we're starting to realize because this is such a huge issue in this country that there are different menus of options that we can take because everyone's going to find their own healing path and i think it all comes from this place which i was going to say to you gus from uh vulnerability and one yeah. thing that 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 man up series especially was was you being so vulnerable about you being obviously so caught off guard that this mentor of yours had, had killed himself yeah. but then also being vulnerable about your journey because that gives other men in particular because we're so fucking stubborn us guys and we're the ones like nick said who aren't aware of our mental health aware that it needs tending to and aware that it needs constant work um but by guys like you being vulnerable it allows other men to also be vulnerable and ask these questions of themselves so I'd like just to get your maybe take on that word vulnerability and how men can be. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right, Ryan. I mean, I talk all the time being open, honest and vulnerable. Those three things, I think, together are the most important thing. And when I talk to blokes about that, they tend to think those things are weak. They tend to think those things are, you know, you know they come up with all sorts of names, which I don't want to talk about on the podcast because it doesn't deserve um, your time or your listeners time either but you'd understand the type of words and i'm sure you hear them yourselves so it's all about changing around the language around it and i say the bravest thing you can do is tell someone how you truly feel because it's bloody hard yeah. you know everything that's hard tends 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 to end up being quite a good thing to do i think at the end of the day as a general rule so i'm saying to people open honest discussions with at least someone in your life. So that's what Gotcha for Life is about. Someone who has got you for life. Warts and all conversations, no judgment. I will love you no matter what. 
you can throw anything at me and I will take it on board and I will love you and I'll try to help if I can. I'll be there to listen. I'm a part of your village. I'm a part of your community and that's what we need to do. There's too many blokes that are isolated with silo, siloing ourselves off and then putting on the mask and putting on all the putting on all the armour and going, you know what, I can handle this myself. Well, you know what? We can't. There's no. a lot of people out there that can't. And if you can and you are lucky enough to have somehow be able to bumble way through your life, then terrific. But most of us can't and the numbers will prove that to us. So whatever's got us here, we need to look at and change a few things. And it doesn't mean we have to change the man box 100%. There's lots of stuff about being a man, especially an Aussie man, that I'm very, very proud of. I, I don't want to be anyone else. But there's things that I can work on. And one of those things is burying your emotions and worrying alone. So if you are worrying alone, you are taking all that on yourself, then you are a million miles away from being a happy, healthy person. That's so at some stage, you need to find someone. And when I go into schools or sporting groups or corporations and I say, can you write down three people in your life that you could speak to openly, honestly, with vulnerability? Most people can't write down three. Mm. Some might write down their part, but can they really? They might write down someone because they feel like they have to fill in three. But most people, when you get to the bottom of it, don't have people. And blokes in particular, as we get older, we get more and more isolated. Wanna, so this is a situation that we're in now. Oh, I like oh, Melissa better. I tell you what, is, <laughs> Melissa your, is Melissa your girlfriend, Ryan? I'm back. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, Melissa. Is yeah. Melissa your girlfriend, mate? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, we've got a baby together. We're not officially married, but I'd call her my wife because that's easier. But um, say that um, you are punching well above your weight. I'm just saying her face just popped up at the host <laughs> your live face. And I'm thinking, oh, that would, that, that, anyway. Hey, um, hey, uh, Gus, let's just say uh, German father, Sri Lankan mother. It's a good mix. It's a very good mix. The result. That's a, <laughs> Um, I, I wanted just to, to ask you two things, Gus. And we're, we're talking about, you know, got you for life, I've got you for life. And I see day in and day out that you're in no position to help others if you're struggling yourself. So for me, the first step is getting people to be accountable for their own happiness instead of outsourcing it and expecting everyone else to fix them. And I think the leading cause of mental health issues is outsourcing your happiness and needing X, Y, Z to happen in order for me to then be happy. Um, but the second thing is capacity. And so those people that are around and you say so you've got three people in your life and who are they to talk to? If, if these, I think we, we can educate people on how to be a better helper is probably what I'm getting at because a lot a of better people, listener. Yeah. Well, a lot of people try and fix like guys are horrendous for trying to fix things. Mm. Um, or they're afraid of the emotion because they're so unaccustomed to someone being vulnerable. Uh, a lot of women tend to run over their partner's feelings and you know, I'll try and be open and they'll go, oh, yeah, but anyway, and just be really dismissive. So that shuts the guy down. So I think we can do a lot of on, on both ends of the spectrum on how to, how to help people. Yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, it all comes down to education and action, as we've said before, and, and, and less around awareness because we're now totally aware of exactly the situation we're in. So I'm continually told, I tried to do the lifeline counselling after I went through the Man Up program and I failed it twice because I kept wanting to give advice to the guys and girls <laughs> on the line about how to get through the night and stuff. It's like, mate, um, 
how about you use those easy odds? You've got two of those and only one of those that you got the ratio wrong. So <laughs> I worked out with Lifeline that I'm probably better hosting their, you know, benefit nights or uh, or their gala nights or something or gotta, gotta using my to, network to try to help. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I, I really wanted I really wanted to be a better listener and my wife tells me at times I am, but it's like it's having the vulnerability, getting back to that word, Ryan, to actually say to your partner or your kids that you don't have all the answers and you're really battling a little bit and you're not quite sure how this is going to end. The day my son came up to me and asked me a question and rather than me bullshit some sort of answer with common sense, sort of thought I was right, but not 100% sure really, but I wanted to show him that I was, you know, dad and dad knew what he was talking about. I actually, one day I said, Jack, I actually don't know the answer to that. And he just went, what? What do you mean? And I go, I don't know. And he goes, but you always know the answer. I go, I've been bullshitting you for a long time. <laughs> um, and he was like, oh. He goes, well, that's actually pretty good because I was really worried about being a man because I don't know much. And I was worried that I had to know everything. And I'm like, no, mate. We're all faking it till we make it. And that discussion between Jack and I changed our relationship and it allowed him to be more open, honest and vulnerable with me. And then he, my daughter saw that, my wife saw that. Then all of a sudden the family changed its tune a bit. And then, of course, they know where I'm working now and we're very much a gotcha follow family. We're living the values of what we're trying to do and by being that. open, honest and vulnerable. And now I love that. boyfriends come in, friends come in, the village is bigger. And we're growing a lovely community. And that's what I suppose what we're trying to scale up with the programs we do and the work that I do in the media and the opportunities I get to talk um, is just for everyone to take a break, take 10% off this pace that we're trying to live our life, be a little bit kinder and being vulnerable and don't worry alone. Those things all wrapped under one will give you, I think, a better understanding of life and how to get through stuff a bit easier as well. Yeah, and for me, I think when, when you have that space where your son comes up and asks you a question, you say, I don't know, then that leads on to, let's find out together, you know, and then you can That's go it. on this learning That's journey it. together. And I know the thing, uh, even emotionally, look, my son's only he's nearly two, so not quite, you know, communicating in that, but, you know, he's seen me cry. You know, if some, something's happened that's got me emotional and the tears start welling up, I'll let him see me cry. And then afterwards I'll say it's because daddy was upset. And this was why. Because we've had this generation, many generations, that for one, wouldn't cry for a start and suppress that shit. But then also certainly wouldn't see, uh, let their family see them in that vulnerable state. And once again, that gives permission for these future generations to go, okay, hey, it's okay not to know. It's okay to have these uh, emotions. It's okay to be human at the end of the day, which is what we're all um, missing, I believe. Absolutely. We're going to throw away perfect. You know, this social media world, Instagram world of these magnificent photos. I mean, I put one up myself today of something, which is a complete BS photo. It's me who was on the front cover of Men's Fitness magazine when I did the New York Marathon in 2014. And it's just like power shot of me, like striding out with my knee and perfect thing when the lighting was wonderful and stuff. Like, I love that shot because it's not who I really am. Hopefully someone sees that and goes, oh, that little moment, he was perfect. But either side of that, I was all over the shop. I was, <gasps> we have to do it again. It's like, oh, God, the lady's there wiping you down because you're fat and unfit. 
simple simple fact is we've got to chuck away perfect. And if you do that and you show that vulnerability, that's why our leaders need to do it. You know, mm. when I spoke to this corporate yesterday and I said, the biggest, the biggest dog in the room, guy or girl, whoever you are, stand up and say something vulnerable. And we're not talking until you until I hear from you. And they're like, and all the people that aren't the top dog are looking around going, I wonder who's going to stand up. <laughs> Eventually a lady stood up and said, well, I suppose I am the big dog. And I'll tell you what happened this weekend and why I didn't sleep very much and why I was worried about my son. Mm-hmm. Now she spoke beautifully for about two or three minutes and everyone guaranteed would have said, what a bloody champion yeah. and what a normal human she is, even though she's got this unbelievable job. At the end of the day, we're all the same thing. We all go to the toilet, we all need to, you know what I mean? Like, just break it down, really. And just sit in that vulnerability. It's it's so great. And I reckon that's new leadership yeah, for funny me. Example Everyone for should. You, you find funny. your moment, Nick, don't you? Yeah, well, it, yeah, you do. And But I, I went to this um, cognitive behaviour therapy you know, course one day and, and this, this little you know, world-renowned professor of psychology from the States was running in Australia. And he walked in, the first three th- things he said to a room full of therapists was, you're all ignorant, you're all incompetent, you're all mediocre. <laughs> and I looked around the room and everyone was in suffering. Everyone was just, oh, and I was hurt and took it personally. And I sat there, I'm like, why, why haven't I been triggered by this? Why? And I realised after four days that what I heard was, to a degree and that's we're all incompetent to a degree none of us are the best at everything none of us can do everything and none of us know everything so we're all those three things to a degree and then a double asterisk and that's okay because you're still enough you're still enough my my skills lie over here but gus is live there and ryan's good at this stuff over there and and you know it's it's all okay but we we get so stuck in i get so caught up in comparing ourselves as you were talking and and trying to be perfect and you know, it's great when I do this exercise with clients because I'm trying to find out how long will it take them to say, I don't know. And usually it's like nine steps and then they'll finally go, I don't know. I'm like, yay, we got there. <laughs> and they've been bullshitting since question three probably or question yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean for, for, me, for me, guys, these type of podcasts are great, just two normal blokes having a chat, giving a little bit of knowledge, but realising we haven't swallowed the map, that we're all learning, we're all doing our best and we're all very fragile at the end of the day and we're just trying our best to to make everyone a little bit mentally fit and that's the key that's all you can do let's go back to that you know bringing up it takes a village to bring a child up that's what it is it's the people you surround yourself with ryan you've got that two-year-old in the next 15 years 16 years before he starts voting and driving and drinking and whatever he's going to do um you are going to put some people in his life that he's going to be looking at and going right well that that must be the way that it's done because mummy and daddy like that person. So they like that trait. So if he's doing it, I'm going to do it. It's a huge responsibility, you know, to be able to give a little bit of the reins to a mate of yours that allows them to do stuff with them different to you and you having that trust and that love and support and stuff. That's, that's what we should be doing more of, you know, going old school villages, bring up kids. And I think the more we do that, the better we'll be. I couldn't agree more, Gus. I mean, living right now, I'm based in Melbourne, but I'm, I was lucky enough to get out before COVID and I'm living in uh, Koh Samui, 
a part of Thailand at the minute. And um, seeing it here more than ever is this village. You know, there's a, a restaurant we'll go to every day and it's generations. It's the, the people that run it. Their daughters are working there. The mum lives there, the cousins. And it's, it is this real community and you can feel the vibe there, you know. And it's like these kids are running around the place and, and playing with everyone. And um, they call it the, the land of smiles. And I believe that's a big part of it. So I agree with you. Going back to these old old ideas, yes. these old roots are, are the best. Just simplify everything a little bit. It's awesome. I can just I'm close my eyes and imagine exactly that type of restaurant and the place you go on holidays and you go there more often than you need to and you just think, oh, I hope I get that same waitress or the same waiter or, you know, it's, it's this gold, you know. There's a reason why we feel good when we go to those places. Why don't we replicate that when we go home? Why are we going to go back after COVID to all the bullshit that we did before rather than take on all these really cool things that we've done in COVID? I don't know. It's a human pattern, I suppose, but you can only look after your own village. Um, I'm, exactly. I'm sorry, boys. I, I've, I've got a message here saying that I'm late for my next thing. So I could talk to you all day. You're it was always going to happen, Gus. Yeah, it was always going to happen. Us, we appreciate you and all the work you were doing and we appreciate your time today, mate. And we wish you and gotcha for life nothing but the best and we hope to speak to you again soon. Hey, anytime, Ryan. Anytime, Nick. And uh, um, like like I said to you before, Nick, um, let's not you turn anyone away. So Yeah, I'll um, touch we'll base with you, mate. We'll talk I'll offline about that. All right. Easy. Thanks, Cheers, guys. Mate. On your gasket, on your mate. Bye. There are right. That was Gus Warland. Yeah. Let's 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 keep recording for a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, let's keep recording and just talk. He was great. He was fantastic. He, you can I mean, obviously the first thing that comes across is the passion the man has, and mm. you know he's really turned that negative experience into a positive one. He's, he's uh, as a lot of guys, you know, Dan and from Trademark, they started Trademark because of Dan's mate took his own life. Um, so it's 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 great when people flourish from these really tragic and unfortunate events. Yeah, it's it's something that he mentioned I was going to bring up, but I, it opens a whole other can of worms. I've been speaking to Melissa about this a fair bit lately because obviously we sit outside the system. You know, there's the medical system right now and there's psychologists, there's counsellors, there's social workers and, and all that kind of jazz. And, um, you know, it's a system that isn't getting results. Like the numbers are showing it's not that they're not getting results. And... Um, totally. And the, the thing is, I mean, these people in the system uh, are just massively underpaid and under-rewarded for the work that they're doing. And what happens is, like, it's like you go to work five days a week. And I've spoken to psychologists who are saying, you know, oh, I've got back-to-back -back all day today. I've got eight or ten clients kind of thing, you know. And I'm like, people not stop caring, but you get this compassion fatigue, which is a real thing, which means just get them in and out of the door, in and out of the door, in and out of the door, which means we get less results. Um, and I was saying to Melissa the other day, I'm like, people in the system, you know, even just a counsellor should be getting paid $100,000 a year, but also they should be working three days a week. You know, like it's it's that kind of job. Like we're getting such diminishing returns by not rewarding people uh, doing this important work because all of a sudden if I'm not, if I've got compassion fatigue and I've experienced it myself, but when I was taking on heaps of clients a couple of years ago, you can't, you can't give uh, all that you've got when you're in that state because you don't have the capacity. You can't, you, you can't pour from an empty cup. 
and mm. I, I had the same thing. You know, it's it's, it's I've, I've capped myself at twenty clients a week because I know that's my limit. I need time to meditate. I need time to do my Pilates. I need time to read. I need I need downtime. I need to recharge. Um, but you know. And I've always had this number in my head as well. You know, I'd love someone just to pay me hundred grand a year, and I would just see people for free. Um, mm-hmm. And but that's not reality. And when you say pay a hundred grand and, and only work three days a week, you can you can hear these you know, traders or these high finance Wall Street dudes going, "No, nah, you pussy, you soft cock. You're only you're only sitting there listening to someone." And people don't understand how much energy it takes to oh, actively listen, mate. <laughs> I, I, I did a, I did a session last night and um, it was a beautiful session, but it's like sometimes, and every session's different, but it's like afterwards, like I had to take a couple of hours afterwards to myself just to let my nervous system calm down because it was so heavy. It's like, it's not like, like I was a tradie for 11 years. It's not like fucking doing a compressor changeover or regassing a machine. It's very, very different, right? And um. And and the fact that people are getting paid well fifty sixty thousand uh, dollars a year and having to see forty clients a week and work these hours is crazy to me. Yeah, and it's it's yeah once again it's the system is not set up properly. So hopefully we get to chat to Christine Morgan soon, the CEO for the National Mental Health Commission, and have a chat with her about you know what's the yeah. what's the future hold for the Australian mental health industry because it does need to change it's it's just it's not working and that's why it it, it it shits me when like the 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 new budget comes out and they just throw more money at it and it's like well we're we're throwing an extra 500 million dollars into mental health this year and it's like what are you throwing it into the same shit because what happens Here's what else I was thinking about. I'm about to get fired up here, right? You, imagine poke. It's like poker machines. It's like poker. It's like poker machines, right? Pokies. So pokies have an algorithm, like, and I don't know if it's changed or what, because I used to be addicted to pokies years ago before drugs. Funnily enough, and right, there's like an algorithm that says it'll return about 91% of what you put in. Right. So over time, averaging and people think that they, you know, if they rub the machine, it's going to be lucky or if they they do uh, two credits per line three times and they've got a system. It's like it will if you over time, if you put one hundred dollars in, you get ninety one back, which means if I put a million dollars in, I'll get nine hundred ninety one thousand back. So the more that you put in, the more that you will lose. Right. And you can't beat that because it's a computer program. So right now. That's how I see our mental health care system. Like ment- mental illness, mental health issues, uh, addiction, um, all of this stuff is suicide. All of this stuff's on the rise. So what's happening is whatever the money is going into now in the current system isn't working. It's like a poker machine. It's diminishing returns. So it's like if I just put more money into that same system, I just get more diminishing returns. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, is, that, is that a good analogy? Yeah, well, it's- that's a great analogy, but and, and essentially what you're saying is the math isn't adding up because mm. it's, and we're, we're, we're definition of madness, you know, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Oh, more money's going to fix it. More money's not going to fix it. It's, um, yeah, it's educating. It's getting people responsible for their own happiness and health. It's uh, enabling people in a positive way how to learn how to self-manage and self-regulate instead of enabling to stay a victim or to stay in their pity mm-hmm. party or to stay in their destructive thinking. So essentially, 
you know, the MindFit model is discomfort precedes success. We have to get people uncomfortable. We have to get them out of their comfort zones because as we know, Hass, a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. Absolutely not. And also out of this diagnosis model, like there's a, there's a company who put together a completely different, because the DSM is the Bible of, you know, psychiatry and psychology. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's all about, let me look up one of the 400 different mental illnesses to find out what's wrong with you. And there's I a, had a dude yesterday say, oh, uh, sorry, I had a dude yesterday say, oh, and, and say my social anxiety. And I said, can we just take off the social? And like, You've just got anxiety. Yeah, it's just, and, and, and we all have anxiety. You just, it's just popping up in this situation. So let's let's get away from the label for a minute. Let's see, it's this labeling thing, yeah. And it's this, uh, what's it called? They put together their own thing, uh, and it's not a diagnosis model. Fuck, what is it? It's a weird name. But anyway, it, the whole premise is instead of what's wrong with you, as in a label, it's just like what's happened to you. And then also education from there. And it's just a different framework then. Because then I don't get told I've got, yeah, well, I, I've, got this, I've got this social anxiety and this is who I am, um, which, is, which is not true. Yeah. Like you said, you have, you have anxiety in certain situations and that anxiety isn't the core of who you are. Let's work out why you get anxious in certain situations. And then you don't have to be. Because the la label is also something that we can hold on to and make part of our identity. Oh, totally. But we we label things because we need to make sense to the world. There's so much information out there. We're trying to put it into context. So that's where labels can be helpful for people. Like for me, um, you know, my own experience, I, did, I never knew how to how to fit it properly in my mind. I'd done the forgiving, I'd done the letting go, but I still couldn't quite find a place for it to sit until the psychiatrist said, uh, oh, it was sexualized violence. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, ding. okay, that makes sense. And and so it didn't make sense for all this time. And now all of a sudden it makes sense. So oh, I can sit there, but it still doesn't define me. It's not a label that I wear. It's a label that my experience wore. Yeah, you, 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 that, it helped you get closure on an event instead of you walking around saying, oh, oh, hi, my name's Nick and I'm a victim of sexualized violence. Like it's, yeah. it's not a way that you oh, identify. It's, yeah, I didn't. I didn't personalize it. It's um, because personalizing is the critical thinking error. So I didn't take that label and stick it on my head. I, I mm. just put that label over that experience and a version of me yes. experienced sexualized violence that, that needed closure. That needed closure. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. one other one other thing you said was also something I've been thinking about a lot. It's like we do need to go back to these roots of villages which we can't because there's just too many fucking people on the planet like there's just so many people and then i started thinking i'm like when me and mel come back to uh melbourne whenever it is we'll go regional maybe even a different state and like i want to get like a self-sufficient commune you know so it's like you grow your own food we'll get solar power oh, i've got plenty of mates who are up for it right and live off the grid and then everyone just pitches in and helps out and we raise the kids together and all that and i'm like then in my head, I start playing it out and I'm like, yeah, that's great with 20 people, then maybe 30 people. Then all of a sudden, because it's cool, other people want to join and then you get to 40 or 50 and then all of a sudden someone has to start making decisions for the group. So then a government of some sort will form again once you get to a certain amount of people. And so it's like this weird uh, thing that us humans do that we have to, once we get to a certain amount of people, someone has to govern the people to an extent. So I don't know... I don't know how to get around that. 
Can you help? I don't know either. <laughs> you just cap yeah, it. You just have answer. to cap the numbers. And or, or otherwise you get weird and the people the people that start the commune start getting real uh, weird with power like Osho on uh, Wild Wild Country. And yeah, starts... we spoke about this last week. Did we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I recommend people watch that show, Wild Wild Country. It is so interesting. So interesting. It is crazy. Yeah. All right. Should we wrap yeah. it up? Uh, oh, yeah, let's wrap it up. I'm going to go grab some lunch before my next session. So... Beautiful. Well, that was great. Uh, yeah, was as, great. as you said, I love Gus's passion. Yeah, I love his passion. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. All right. Well, audio starting to cut out a bit, so let's wrap it up. And All right. We'll next week. See you next week. Peace. Peace. Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. Yeah.